How are we doing today? All right. Got a couple thumbs up. Love those testimonies. Love just to hear the conversation going. There's a lot of life happening in our church this morning. And honestly, uh, man, just with the testimonies and the worship, I'm like, do I even need to preach right now? Like this, man, God's just moving and stirring. But I do want to say I'm very excited for what we're about to read. Um, if you're new with us, welcome. My name is Joe Polino. I serve as the lead pastor here. Uh, we have been going through uh, a book called Ephesians this year as a church. And as we're going through the book of Ephesians, here's our prayer. It's the same prayer that Jesus prayed for us as a church. He said, our, our, the way that we're praying it is, God, would you make us one with you, make us one with one another so that the world will know who Jesus is. That was the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. And so the book of Ephesians talks a lot about how we can grow in loving union with God, that oneness with God, which is a blow away to think about. But it talks about, here's what God has done. He's reconciled us in Christ. How do we live like that? But then what we're at now, if you're just joining us, is that last week we started in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10, and it's turning the corner not just to talk about ourselves individually, but how we as a church also would grow one with him and one with one another, okay? So that's what we're gonna look at today. We're gonna continue on in that scripture. So please turn with me to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. And if you don't have a Bible or you want a paper copy, there should be a black hard hardback copy somewhere. And that page is 947 if you wanna turn there. And if you don't have a Bible, please by all means take that one with you as a gift from us. We'd love for you to have God's word. So as you're turning there, uh, I shared last week that uh, my wife and I recently uh, bought a house. We are in the process of moving. So we sold our old house and we get a lease back on that house for some time and we are moving into our new house. In our new house, uh, we love our new house and our new house needs a little bit of love. Uh, it's a little bit of a fixer upper, uh, but we see the potential. And so we have been using our spare time to work on the house. Uh, and we um, are really trying to do as much as we can on our own, but there is one thing uh, that I'm not willing to DIY myself. And that is we are wanting to take out a load-bearing wall in the middle of our house. Now I'm willing to YouTube a lot of stuff. I'm not gonna YouTube that one, right? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna field it out to the experts. And the reason why is if you walk through our house, uh, if you walk in our house, you will see that there's a living room and then there's a kitchen and there's a wall in between it. So that's actually a picture of our new house. And so you can see the wall over there. And when I say as is, like that was all the stuff that we are taking out. So that was, that's not our furniture. Um, but we wanna take that load bearing wall out to create uh, a larger room instead of it being two rooms to make it one big room. So we, I know we have a few contractors in the house and maybe a few HDTV fans, okay? What do you need to have in order to replace a, a, a load-bearing wall? Money. Money is, money is correct. I also heard a beam. 
A beam, that's right. A load-bearing beam, which I've, I guess I learned is an LVL, which I think is laminated vinyl lumber. So it's kind of cool. It's not actually this like, yeah, there we go. It's not actually from a tree like this, you know, mass, they, they adhere planks of wood together so there's no weakness in the beam. And so it's able to support a lot of weight. Um, and so we paid someone, that's not our beam, that's just a guy with a beam um, that on the picture. Um, but as, you know, I have a lot of house illustrations, I'm preparing sermons, so bear with me. You know, you can pray for me to have a different sermon illustration next time. But as I'm thinking through our text, I'm like, okay, God, help it to like land. What are you saying to me? What are you saying to us? And and uh, with the text we're about to, to read, I was just thinking about what would it be like if one person tried to put up that beam? Now, one person tried to take out that load-bearing wall, uh, have the roof not collapse on the entire house and not kill themselves, but then also be able to put this giant beam up by themselves and have it be structurally sound for everyone. Is that possible with one person? I don't think so. I couldn't make it very far. What I could do is I could try to take a sledgehammer to something and, and get rid of that wall, but to not just get rid of a wall or to do away with it, but to actually create something better and uh, sustainable after that is something that takes special ability and skill. I think you would agree with that. Well, the scripture we're about to read, I share that because it's an illustration of what God is doing with walls that divide us, that we engage with every single day, okay? In Jesus, God is tearing down walls we could not take down ourselves and creating something new in its place. Walls of separation that exist between you and God, walls of hostility that exist with other people, walls of division with one another especially in the church. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. You guys ready to look at God's word? So the topic is, we are one new humanity in Christ. That's what our topic of the talk is, if you're taking notes with me. So turn with me again to Ephesians 2, verse 11 is where we're gonna start. We're gonna read through verse 18, beginning in verse 11. It says, therefore, remember that formerly you who, who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. 
Father, thank you for this word. God, I'm asking God for your help this morning for us to understand more of what you're saying. Would you open our eyes to see this text, uh, not just as a, uh, a cool truth, but something that would leave us changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, let's take it wall by wall, okay? So point number one, that he's making us into a new humanity. The first wall is wall of separation with God. So let's see where we find that. Let's read again in verse 11 through 13. It says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant to the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Okay, so when it says, therefore, so you start, when you start reading and it says, therefore, you always have to look back at what is, he, what is therefore, what is coming before it. And what's coming before it is 10 verses in chapter 10, one through 10. And just for the sake of time, just to summarize, verse one begins again, saying you were dead in your transgressions and sin. Remember that's where you were, you were dead. You were spiritually dead. But God, because of his great love with which he loved us, who's rich in mercy, he has made you alive. By grace, you have been saved through faith in Christ. So this is what he's saying, therefore. And then we looked last week, as he said, and, and because God did this, we are his poema, we're his workmanship. And so here we pick up and it says, Remember, Gentiles, you weren't always like that. And it's interesting when it says, remember, so far we've read a good chunk of Ephesians. This is the first command that God gives through Paul to the Ephesians. This is the first imperative statement. And it's not to do this or to try this. It's simply to remember, remember. This is the first command that he gives them. Remember, what does he want them to remember? Remember that formerly, you were Gentiles. You were called uncircumcised. Remember when you were separated from Christ. Now, why? Why do you think that is? Why do you think God would call them to remember? Well, first, before we go into the why, let's look at what are some of the things that describe their formal life, the Gentiles' formal life in Christ. Here's what it said. It says that you were Gentiles by birth, which means that your bloodlines defined you. Your birth station was not something that you could overcome. That's how you were formerly Gentile. Remember Gentile that you were called the uncircumcised. When he says called the uncircumcised, that wasn't just making a statement. That was a derogatory statement. You were hated by the Jews. That uncircumcised fill in the blank. It was almost like a curse word. And also like, what's the big deal with circumcision? We read in Acts 15 that it says in Acts 15 that some people came down from Judea and were te- uh, to Antioch and were teaching the brothers that unless you were circumcised, you could not be saved. Now, they were saying you still needed to fulfill parts of the Mosaic law in order to follow Jesus. This is a big deal, big deal. So when they say that you were called uncircumcised, what they were saying was, man, you were outside of God's promise. 
And, 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 and if you're not circumcised, you're not a part. You're, not, you're on the outside looking in. And then it says again, you were separate from Christ. Separate from Christ, which is another way of saying there's no future hope. There's no deliverer coming. There's no Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. There's no, there, there's, you're not looking for anyone to come and rescue you like the Jews were. They had these promises of God's faithfulness. You didn't have that. You didn't have a king to look forward to. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You weren't a citizen. You know, if you're not a citizen in a country, it's a pretty vulnerable place to be. I remember when I was doing some cross-cultural ministry in North Africa, I was there for about three months and I was always anxious about where is my passport? Where is this? Where is that? But I knew that when I was over there, even if I had all of my credentials, that if an authority wanted to do something shady or kick me out of the country or take all my money, I didn't have rights. And so authority actually brought fear. Uh, I was excluded from citizenship in Israel. I didn't have a full right as a child of God. This was the state that they were in. And then finally, probably the most clear one is that they were without hope and without God. This is where you were before Christ. You were on your own. You were without hope and without God. Now, that's pretty, pretty depressing. Uh, why would you reflect on that? Why is that something that God wanted them to remember? Well, I think, you know, that's who they are. That's who they were, not who they are now. And I was reflecting on this. Why? One of the reasons I think is that some of the people who have been through the hardest things and they come out on the other side are some of the most humble and grateful people that you'll ever encounter. I mentioned last week, talking about my grandfather who was born towards the tail end of the Great Depression. And I just remembered him as I was seeking God, wanting to know what, what's the next career path for me. For him, he remembered what it was like for his parents and a kid of having no food, no job, no prospects, right? And so it shaped the way that he viewed his work. He was thankful for a job. He was thankful to put food on the table and have enough for today. He was grateful. And so when I would talk to him about, you know, do you like your job? He was like, well, I'm thankful. I don't, sure, I, you know, I'm sure he would like to do what he was doing. He didn't particularly, but he was humble and grateful. And in a similar way, we need to remember what it was like before Christ to be humble and grateful people ourselves. Remember, church, what it was like before you knew the hope of Jesus. Remember, I need to be reminded often. And if you think about too, so when we are reading this letter, this is a letter to a church. And this church, when it was planted, was, man, there was revival. You can read about it in Acts 19. There were demons being delivered. There were people radically being saved. There were witch, witchcraft books that were worth about $6 million that were just burned in the streets. I mean, there was riots going on. It was exciting. It was crazy. Like this is the church in Ephesus. But that was back when it was started. All those people that came in to know Christ, Jew and Gentile, This was years down the road when Paul wasn't with them anymore. He was in prison. Don't you wonder if some of the honeymoon phase of following Jesus might have worn off a little bit 
And now they were left looking to their left and their right, being like, for millennia, we've been literally taught we cannot have a meal with a Gentile. And now we're eating every single day with them. Do you think there was some conflict that they had to work through? Tension, maybe some questions, some confusion. Absolutely. And so when he's, when he's writing to them, hey, remember, be grateful, be thankful, because it's gonna give them strength to not, to not harbor bitterness, to not judge people, to not pull out of community. You know, I know, I, any of, I, man, whew, I can just say, you know, I've, I've been a life group pastor. I've been in small groups, man, for a long time. And I just know it, there is this time when you first get into it, like, this is incredible. This is amazing. And then that first conflict happens or that, that thing that you realize, oh, I don't know if I can overlook that offense that they did. I might need to actually go to that person. It's like, oh, this is getting real, right? This is getting real. But when we remember to give thanks, when we rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks, we are fulfilling the will of God. And so that's what the first point, the way that we need to tear down the wall, well, we don't tear it down. Remember that God has torn down the wall of separation is simply through thankfulness. It's through thankfulness. So I just shared this verse, but let's say, I wanna put it up on the screen. Uh, This verse is always applicable. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. How can you give thanks in all circumstances? It's because you remember the state that you were before and how God has come. Ma'am, so, man, I encountered this yesterday uh, with my kids. So we had Sabbath yesterday, which is we try to take 24 hours once a week where we are stopping work, we are delighting, in God or in his creation, and we are resting. We don't do this perfectly, but we, we did it yesterday, okay? And we try to include all the kids in it. Uh, so it's a fun thing for the family. They usually love it because we put our phones away and they actually have our full attention uh, and we're not working on something. And so, man, we did ice cream. We did blow up pools in the backyard. We were wrestling, we were calling. We did all this fun stuff for them. And then when bedtime came, started hearing this whining. Like, oh, dad, can we please do this or do that? And Amy and I both look at each other like, hold up. Can you just like list a few things that we did for you today? Like, you're just like, okay, can you remember what are some things that you're thankful for today? And they were like, okay. And so we started going through and their attitude started to change. Well, I just, I, I, I give my kids a little bit of hard time there. They're usually great about that. But I'm just saying earlier that morning, I was the same way. And when we says, remember who you were before, it's not just about who you were before in Christ. It's remembering on the daily what God's, what God's given you, okay? And so I was just feeling like, man, I was, I, I was talking with God and I was like, God, with the home renovations and the work, I'm tired, I'm stressed, where are you? And I, in, in reality, I felt like I was alone. And I was like holding up all this weight as if I was like holding up the crossbeam in the house. And I just felt like God began to gently remind me to remember what he's done for me, who he is. I am not in charge. He is in charge. He's my good father. And it was just like, whew, man. Truth came in and perspective came through thankfulness. And in verse 13, this is the ultimate 
verse to be thankful for. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Man, let's be thankful for that. So God has taken apart the wall of separation from us. The next part is that he is tearing down the wall of hostility between us and other other people, and particularly with enemies that we have. So let's look at verse 14. It says, for he himself is our peace, who has made the true groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh with his commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, which he put to death their hostility. Man, if you don't hear anything else from my talk except this, then this will be a win. Jesus himself is our peace, as it says in verse 14. It says, for he himself is our peace. Do you need peace this morning? Do you need peace in your relationship with God? Do you need peace this morning in your financial situation, in your marriage, in your status in life? If you need peace, it's not in circumstances. It's not in another podcast. It's not in a book. It is in Jesus. It's in Jesus Christ. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. If you are looking for the internal wrestling of your soul to find rest, it is in the person of Jesus. That is where it is at. Man, So he himself is our peace, but it doesn't have a period there. It has a comma. It says he's our peace. Why is he our peace? He has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Man, so God is doing some renovation work among the human race. The two groups of Jew and Gentile, he's breaking down the wall. He's having an open concept, okay? They are now becoming one. But it talks about this dividing wall of hostility that he has destroyed. What is all this hostility? Man, so to to give you a little bit of a window into what it was like Jew and Gentile, remember God chose the Jewish nation as the promised people that through them, all the people of the earth would be blessed. Through Abraham, your family will become a seed that will be a blessing to all of your offspring. He's talking about Jesus Christ. Now the Jewish people over the years, They had tried to preserve their faith and preserve their holiness, but they had also lost sight of what their purpose was. It wasn't just for them. It was for all people, all nations. And so as a result of the Jewish people being oppressed and taken over and abused and murdered and killed, there was a lot of hostility that had built up. There was a lot of weight in that load-bearing wall. William Barclay has this commentary to help us understand the level of hostility Jews had with Gentiles. It says, the Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles said the Jews were created by God to, fuel, to be fuel for the fires of hell. God, they said, loves only Israel of all nations they had made. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. So those, that was a teaching by some of the rabbis in the day of how to hate the Gentiles. I mean, just put in the contrast of Jesus's teaching of love your neighbor as yourself, how radical and subversive it was to the Jewish community at the time. To us, it's normal. To them, that was radical. 
There was a lot of hostility there. So there was this hostility culturally, but there's also, there was an actual dividing wall in the temple that kept Gentiles out. We actually have a, a picture up here of a stone that on, inscribed on it is a warning sign. And here's what it says. It says, no foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. So it wasn't, no tr it wasn't trespassers will be prosecuted. It was trespassers will be executed. So it was this, the temple court was elevated and the priests had a court. And then on the same elevation, the lay Israelites who weren't priests, but were men, they could then be closer, close to the temple. And then on that same plane, the Israelite women were then on the outer upper plane of the temple court. Then you had to go down the steps and then there was a wall and then the Gentiles could look up at the temple where the presence of God was, but they could not cross over the dividing wall of hostility or else they would be executed. This kind of system was the dividing wall of hostility. It says in Hebrews that when Jesus died and said it was finished, that the veil of the Holy of Holies was ripped in two from top to bottom because he fulfilled the law and all its commandments. Using the language here, he set aside the law and regulations of the Mosaic law, fulfilled it. Why? So that we could actually enter in the Holy Holies, not just the Jews though, not just the Jewish men, not just the Jewish men and women, but all people, all people could enter in and engage and, and know and have fellowship with God. Isn't this amazing? So let's put up the bridge diagram. If you have been a Christian for some time, you've probably seen this. If you are not a Christian or a new Christian, maybe you haven't. This is a way to illustrate what the, what's happened in the gospel. On one side, you have, we were dead in our sins and separate. And then there's a chasm that we cannot cross over. We cannot overcome ourselves to get to God, illustrated in this picture by eternal life. But Jesus on the cross, he makes a way for us to be, he basically, he's a bridge for us to cross over and have relationship with him, no matter what we've done, forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel. But according to this passage, it is only part of the gospel. The cross is a bridge, but it is also a jackhammer or a sledgehammer that destroys walls between people. It's not just about being reconciled to God. That is where we start. But as we're reconciled to God, we're called to be ministers of reconciliation to one another. Man, and I just say that for me, like I did not get this. I, I did not get this for a long, long time. And the more that um, I follow Jesus, the more I'm like, okay, <laughs> this, this I, I need to understand this. God, would you help me? I'm learning, I'm growing. God is creating a, a new humanity. It's not that he's making the Gentiles Jewish or the Jews Gentiles. It's a completely new thing. It's a new tribe. It's a new people. It's a new humanity. It's a new family. He's making a new family. He's making a new family. Man, I don't know if you've ever tasted this, but when I was uh, first following Jesus and was really hyped up and excited, maybe like those early Ephesians, because I was just experiencing relationship with God. But then this, 
I was leading life group at the time when I was in Waco at the church there. And there was a conflict that arose in my life group. Uh, one guy who was one who liked conflict and seemed almost eager to go into it. And another guy who would shy away from it were at odds. And so they were going round and round. And I was like, okay, uh, I don't know what to do, but I, I, I entered in and said, hey guys, would you be willing to meet and talk through? And so I tried to mediate as their life group leader. And I was expecting this to go horribly wrong. But as we read some scriptures and as these guys walked in humility, this intense argument, I don't even remember what it was about, was resolved before my eyes. And I remember thinking, this, this is heaven touching earth right now. I mean, if you've ever seen a relationship where there's forgiveness and there's reconciliation and there's healing, it's the deepest broken part of human experience. And there's hope that comes with that. There's life and God makes new life. I was like, Lord, I want this. I want to ask for this. I want to be a part of this more and more. I want to be whatever I can do to bring about reconciliation. That's what I want to be a part about. And it's not just for me, it's for all of us, church. This is really hard, but I just want to honor, uh, just even in our midst, we have people who do this regularly. Recently, uh, Kevin and Bree Cho, Nathan and Ceci Wright, life group leaders. I was a life group pastor. They came to me to talk about some things that they were saying, hey, we, we want to ask you about some things because we've, we don't want there to be any gap between us. And so we talked through them. And I was just like, this is heaven touching earth. We were able to talk through things. I was like, thank you. Thank you for being ministers of reconciliation. Thank you for talking with me. And that's, that's something that they've done intentionally over and over and over again. And we were able to talk through that. Man, this is who we are. I just wanna honor like Mark Ziegler, Cresta Tidmore, Stephen Murray. Like it's not just about reconciliation around relational conflict, it's crossing cultural, cultural boundaries and stepping into a place where you're not, it's not a place you're familiar with with people and cultures that are different because we're one in Christ. That's who we are. And that's, man, I'm just so honored and encouraged to be a part of a church like this. And I did want to share one story though, before I close uh, about Corey Tinboom, because while I'm telling you truths from the scripture about this is what God's done, this is not easy. The hostility is real when you've been wrong. I think we have a picture of Corey Ten Boom. So Corey Ten Boom, if you don't know her story, uh, during World War II, her and her family were hiding Jews in their house uh, in Germany so that they wouldn't be found and taken to concentration camps. Well, they were found out and anyone who uh, houses or hides Jews was also treated like a Jew. And so they were, Corey and her sister were sent to the concentration camps along with her family and her father died in the concentration camp. And her sister died in the concentration camp. And she wrote a book about it called The Hiding Place, which is amazing to see God's faithfulness all throughout that horrible period of history. But as Corey Tinboom actually made it out, she made it out and she, through writing this book and through teaching, became, had a platform to talk to people about the power of forgiveness in Christ. And at one speaking opportunity, she was there and she was approached by a man. And this man uh, said, Corey Tinboom, uh, I, I have a question to ask you. I don't know if you recognize me, but I was one of your 
guards at one of the concentration camps. And it says that when she saw him, she immediately knew who he was. He was one of the worst ones who would victimize and abuse her and her sister and others. And he told her, he said, since I have been out, I have become a follower of Jesus. And I know that God has forgiven me of my sins, but I've asked God, would you please give me someone who I have mistreated? Would you, would you allow me to ask them for my forgiveness? Would they forgive me so that I might know that I'm truly forgiven? So he said, four line, Corey Tinboom, would you forgive me? And she said in that moment that her answer was no, because she was reflecting back in her mind over the death of her family and the things that she had encountered. And she was like, I can't, I can't. But then she said that she prayed, said, Lord Jesus, help me. And as she said, as if the Holy Spirit was poured into her heart, she reached out her hand to him, shook his hand. And it was like the Holy Spirit, like love flowed through her. She said, I forgive you and Jesus. And they both embraced and they cried. And I'll just say, Forgiveness is a choice, but it's also a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. We have got to humble ourselves and ask God, would you help us to forgive when it's hard? Would you help us? Because we don't have it within our own strength. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit. And that just brings me to, to my last point, which is that God has dealt with the wall of divisions among us. And I, I, I would feel like a hypocrite even more so to just talk about, man, this is an amazing truth. But if you look at the church today, we don't have a great track record with being unified. There's so many divisions and splits and branches and man. And I just think for the point here is just a call to humility. God, would you give us a heart of compassion to not pull away from our brothers and sisters, but to see them as our true family? to see them as brothers and sisters, and also just to say, God, where are there walls that I have been putting up that you have torn down? Uh, we have a picture uh, of progress on our wall. So that is the current wall in our new house that the contractor put up, put the beam in. The wall is gone. How foolish would it be though, if I went in there this afternoon and I got some bricks, and I started to build on top of that island or build on top of that wall and said, you know what? I like it better the old way. How foolish would that be? And yet, how, are there ways that we are doing that within the church right now? Where there have been walls that have been taken down, but we are keeping a fence and we're not going to people. And I just think what I'm praying is, God, would you open our eyes to see if there's any way that we might be unaware that we are putting up barriers between ourselves or between one another? Are there bricks that we are putting up? Because he has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. And he is the one that it says in verse 14, it says that he is the one that has came and he has preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father. One spirit. He is the one who's doing it. And so church, we follow him. He's still preaching. He's still going. He's going to people and saying, come and be a part of our family. And I want to invite us to join with him in being one new, one, new one new humanity, one new family that says, come, come and belong to Christ. Come and be a part of this family. Amen.
So let's go ahead and stand. Ben, if you can come on up. So just, I want you to just close your eyes just as we're about to respond with worship and singing. Just close your eyes and just for all that you've just heard about the walls that God's taken down, the one new humanity that we have in Christ to remember what God's done. Remember where you were. Remember the wall that he took down that you don't have to look up to some temple or go to Jerusalem to worship, but he's living inside of us. We're gonna hear more about that next week. But then also he's made us one. I just think the main response that I feel led to do just to, just to lead us in as a church is one of God, would you humble us as learners to know how to do this well? Would you humble us as learners to do this well? So I just want to invite you just to pray with me. We're gonna have our prayer team and prophetic team up here. If there's an area where you have a relationship, where you uh, need there to be peace, maybe there's, you feel far from God, maybe you, whatever it is, I just wanna open it up. You need to come to the front to get prayer. We're gonna have a prayer prophetic team up here to pray with you. But I wanted to invite all of us to close our eyes and just even open our hands as a posture of humility and just say, God, you are the one that has broken down the barrier that you have made Jew and Gentile into a new family, a new humanity. And Lord, with all the division that we see in our world and what affects us, God, would your word, would your word be the one that we look to, that you are our peace in the midst of chaos and that actually we would be a healing agent in the relationships around us and the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name.